0: Episode 43 of the Shock Shock Nicks Podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Sean Saint-Jacques back with you. Another week of Knicks and NBA News during this quarantine and the sports world continues to trudge forward. I I want to get to a couple of different things on the show this week. You're gonna get what I promised last week. We're gonna talk some last dance, parts one and two of the documentary are out. That's going to be most of the first half of the show. And then we'll talk into you know, some of the talk around Kevin Knox's development which has been uh brought up in an article in the Athletic that I want to touch on in the second half of the show as well. And then on top of that, we'll get into some of the NBA coaching situations that have been coming to light over the last couple of weeks. And we'll kind of not only blend in the Knicks with that, but the Nets have some, you know, buzz going around them right now, as do some of the other teams in the NBA. We'll dive into the NBA coaching circus, as it always tends to spike up, uh, whether apparently there's basketball or not. So, it, the NBA coaching search is going to be interesting, because right now there's no basketball. So, it, it's going to be interesting to see what teams are, you know, teams are kind of reevaluating there's seasons at the moment and you know whether we finish this season and whether we don't you know what what's going to happen with that so there's going to certainly be some coaches that are on the hot seat at the moment but will they have time to fix their you know chances you know will they have time to figure things out or will the season just get finished off we go to the playoffs, and then the teams that are out of the playoffs have to make some tough decisions as to what they will do moving forward. And we'll get to some of that, and some teams that might want to think about it uh, going forward as well. At the end of the show, let's start with the last dance. One and two, the Tiger King of the sports world. Everyone was talking about it after the first two episodes aired. These are first the first two episodes of a ten. Part documentary released by ESPN, and uh, I believe, according to the credits, Netflix is a part of this venture as well. So, you can't get away from those pesky streaming services, even when it is an ESPN 30 for 30. I was talking to a buddy of mine about it the other day, and we were just kind of saying, you know, this could go like right to the top of our favorite 30 for 30s. We've only watched the first two episodes of the documentary. Each episode is an hour long. So if you've got a chance to watch, do it. You can go on to espn.com, you can go on to the ESPN app. Uh, not to promote them, but you know if you want to watch this documentary, you need something to do, use a couple hours of your time, it might not be a bad place to start. Um, it really goes into obviously Michael Jordan and the Bulls their last run together 97-98 and that kind of gets stressed from the beginning there's a lot of cutting back and forth in the first couple of episodes from ninety seven, ninety eight to earlier times for michael jordan and then scotty pippen are kind of the first two that are really dove into significantly we've already got some sound from from jordan and pippen in the first couple of episodes i think the first thing to hit on the first and foremost for me that that stuck out in the documentary in the first two episodes, and again Sunday, so you'll get this. Uh, you'll get this episode of the podcast on Friday, Sunday are episodes three and four. So you basically have three days, uh, or really two and a half, to catch up before episodes three and four come out. Unless you want to do it midweek in between three and four and five and six, but you basically have a couple of days here to get up to speed. And if you haven't watched it, um, unless you uh, want spoilers. Uh, Wait a little bit or jump ahead in the podcast to the second half where we'd get into more of the current news going on with uh, the NBA and the Knicks specifically. So for now, uh, spoiler spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the first two episodes, haven't said that in a while on a podcast, but a spoiler alert here, uh, if you haven't seen episodes one and two, um, episode one, uh, is, is is interesting i think two is probably the the more interesting of the two that have been released so far just because of the scotty pippen situation which i want to get to in a second i enjoyed one a lot just because and a little bit it was it was touched on a little bit in two but more with the scotty pippen perspective you know the early jordan days before he was kind of a star you know it, it, They got a little deeper into, you know, him getting cut from his uh, high school team. They got into a little bit of the Dean Smith days with Jordan at North Carolina. Um, They got into his, you know, they had some interviews with his mom, which was really interesting. And then they even had some old sound from his dad uh, in the early parts of the documentary, which I kind of enjoyed. And you got the sense of what a young Michael Jordan was like and i think that was a nice touch in the documentary and they really did a good job bouncing back and forth between the 97 98 season and then you know the early days of michael jordan and then we ended up seeing the early days of Scottie pippen as well and the footage they get i mean we, we this was expected this was right this was this was kind of one of the first things we were expecting to get the footage, not only from the past, but from the 97, 98 season, we get a really nice dose of it in the first couple of episodes. I really enjoyed the, the, the I mean, the behind the scenes footage, you know, even when they're overseas, you know, Michael Jordan telling you, you know, you know, you can't come into the locker. Room. No, you can't come into the locker. Room. Like that kind of joking around, you get a kind of a vibe around the locker room. And of course, Scottie Pippen wasn't with them uh, when they went on the trip overseas. Um, but I thought the footage was fantastic. There's going to be a lot more of that as the documentary goes on. I enjoyed the, again, the early take on Jordan as a person The the great story of Michael Jordan's, uh, rookie year when he walks into the hotel room and his entire, uh, (laughs) all of his teammates are in there doing drugs and they're with girls and, and stuff like that. Michael Jordan's reaction, uh, in the in the documentaries is really good i I wish they would have dove a little bit deeper into that i think that was probably the most interesting early nba jordan story they could have told and they didn't really touch on it more than michael jordan saying that that he wasn't going to partake in that and that you know they were trying to build a team and he had never drank before which i thought was interesting and then um his yeah his reaction i wish they maybe they'd you know, maybe they didn't want to interview some of those guys but they didn't interview anybody who was actually in that hotel room that Jordan goes into when he was you know roaming that hotel on a road trip looking for his teammates. So I thought that was an interesting story uh, early on uh, before the bulls got good um, before we get to Pippin, that's a big part of the first two episodes. Uh, and kind of is the it's the lead into the third and the fourth episode the the contract disputes with scotty pippen and uh and all of that jerry reinsdorf and jerry Krauss, the owner and the gm respectively of the bulls very important in the first two episodes and obviously throughout the entire documentary the the parts that that kind of stand out to me that were interesting were the ultimatum to phil jackson you know this is your last season i don't care if you win 82 games this is it and basically michael jordan's our only long-term guy on this team everybody else is expendable and apparently that was the animosity between jerry Krause and Scottie pippen which is that jerry Krause was listening for offers on Scottie pippen and that's you know a betrayal essentially especially at that time in the nba uh it, that was a pretty big deal and the stories of Scottie Pippen berating Jerry Krause on the team bus and, and Michael Jordan taking shots at Jerry Krause you know friendly jabs Jerry Krause was just not a fan of how he was treated at times because he's you know he thinks he's the architect of his team and he was a lot of people gave him credit but the other thing is that the players come first and Jordan said that and Pippen said that and uh, Steve Kerr said that you know there was a lot of Uh, you know Bill Wellington uh, said that as well so like there there was a lot of different angles on the Jerry Krause situation he doesn't look great in in the documentary I'd argue Jerry Reinsdorf looks a lot better than Jerry Krause the Reinsdorf kind of throws Krause under the bus on a couple of these things and it was kind of like, well, you know, Krauss deals with that. You know, I don't really deal with that. You know, that's a Krauss thing. He kind of said it without saying it. That was a little odd. Because <laughs> um, Jerry Krauss wanted to keep the team together for as long as possible. Uh, or, sorry, uh, Reinsdorf wanted to keep the team for as long as possible. Krauss was ready for a rebuild, it was kind of the theme of the first two episodes. But the Scotty Pippen stuff. Is extremely interesting. I'd argue, I'd argue the Scottie Pippen um angle of the first two episodes is more interesting than the Michael Jordan angle. Now we haven't gotten into the really interesting stuff with Jordan yet, but Scottie Pippen kind of steals the show in the second episode where not only do they dive into the contract dispute, they dive into his early days and then his relationship with Krause and with the Bulls organization basically what he was feeling right when they when they go out there in the united center and, and you get that great behind the scenes shot of phil jackson with the team and, he, and phil jackson basically says you know i just told him you know go out there this could be the last time we're together or this will be the last time we're together and celebrating a championship most likely uh, on the same team so this is the time to enjoy and Scottie pippen's just thinking i'm not you know i'm not getting paid you know i'm not i'm not uh you know, no one's paying me what i'm worth and the basically the the explanation for that was that jerry Reinsdorf told scotty pippen what he tells everybody don't sign this long-term contract you got to buy in to yourself and scotty pippen took the security option and ended up getting really good it was arguably a top two or three player in the nba bulls thought he was a top two player in the nba but he was the 122nd highest paid player <laughs> in the nba when that number gets thrown at you i mean that's just absolutely uh jaw dropping that that a player of scott i mean scottie pippen's a top you know he's a 50 greatest players of all time player he's only getting paid the 122nd highest salary in the nba going into 1997 1998 in the middle of his prime i mean or are you somewhat argue towards the end of his prime obviously cuz that was the last bulls title they got together was ninety seven, ninety eight, but still, like, you know, Pippen's thinking, you know, this is the last year of my contract, but I got to get paid, or I'm not playing. So, you know, the the holdout before it was cool, kind of a thing, <laughs> with Scottie Pippen was extremely interesting, and basically, Scottie Pippen's no nonsense attitude uh, about it was was interesting to dive into. One of the sneaky things I don't think got talked about enough at least by social media, I think some people in the, in the media itself touched on it and they were smart to do. So I thought it was interesting was the Charles Oakley angle on the bulls, basically how Charles Oakley was Michael Jordan's right hand man before Scottie Pippen was and would defend him to the death. And you know, these stories that came out on other radio shows, John Sally was on a radio show last week and said that basically Charles Oakley, even in public settings, not just in the locker room when people would you know, to, to this day, uh, or not, maybe not to this day, but at times, even in public places, I think John Sally was mentioning he was at an event with Oakley and Jordan. I think they were at the Kentucky Derby or something. And basically John Sally was asked in front of everybody, you know, would, would Kobe be able to take Jordan? And Sally said that Kobe would give Jordan the work. And <laughs> Oakley punches him like a legit punch in the chest on John Sally. So that was like an interesting dive into away from the documentary, a dive into how much Oakley defended Jordan while they were teammates, I guess. And then once Oakley got traded uh, for, uh, I think another big and some picks just to sure things up, it was a better move for the team to win. Not necessarily for Michael Jordan and in the end that was the right move and jordan even says you know we were trying to win that was a move to try to win and then when Scottie pippen came along that was kind of when things picked up and jordan finally had the guys around i mean revisiting that crazy game when jordan dropped 60 something and at the boston garden over larry bird and company and they still lost those two games and lost the series but Jordan was just, he got player of the game for both of the first two games in Boston against an epic Celtics team, you know, one of the best teams of all time. Um, crazy stuff. I mean, revisiting those box scores and those performances was also really interesting in the documentary as well. And then you kind of get the the side of, you know, well, they got Jordan first, and then you look at how they brought in Scotty and uh, and things like that. And then I'm guessing three and four, you know, the Scotty Pippen saga likely continues, but they'll probably bounce around to, you know, some of the other role players that were brought in. So I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see where they go with it. Um, the other, the other thing, I mean, Jerry Krause, you know, looks really bad coming out of this documentary in the early, uh, situation. I mean, I think some people didn't like how Jerry Reinsdorf phrased a couple of things and, but, but, but for me, um, I mean, one of the, I mean, Jerry, uh, Jerry Krause got ripped apart by a lot of people, but I think Steve Kerr kind of summed it up best. I've got his quote here from NBA.com from the documentary. He said, quote uh, on Jerry Krause, he deserved a lot of credit, but he, but he, he, let me rephrase, or let me say it again. I should say, Quote, he deserved a lot of credit, but he couldn't get out of his own way. Unquote. I mean, I think that's like the you know, Jordan's taking shots at his weight and how short he is, and that wasn't in the documentary by him, that was like they had shots of him at the time taking shots at him, like while they were still working together, which was funny, and then Scottie Pippen after, I mean, the animosity, I mean, you could tell that Scottie Pippen still doesn't like Jerry Krause. Like he's never going to forgive Jerry Krause for what he did. So like that's, that was really telling as well to see that in person, even though I think anyone that knows that situation would already know that that's in place. But for Steve Kerr to say that, we all know how smart of a guy Steve Kerr is. That tells you all you need to know about what the Bulls thought about jerry Krause. yes jerry Krause was important he built the team he brought this great group of guys together he kept them together they won six championships they're an all-time great group and jerry Krause brought that group together and jerry reinsdorf hired jerry Krause, even when people said that you know stay away from this guy but he said no no this is the guy that's going to help us win he did that but some would say that maybe Jerry Krause thought he deserved a little more credit than what he got. And he didn't get the respect. I think that he thought he would get from the players, specifically Michael and Scotty. And this is where the animosity kind of comes in and basically says, well, you're not going to respect me. Uh, I can get rid of you. And I think that's kind of what happened between him and Scotty. And with Jordan basically was just, well, it's, it's, it's Michael Jordan. So I can't, he's, he's kind of untouchable. Uh, but, you know, you can argue Scottie Pippen was pretty close to that as well, especially on those teams. But that angle on Jerry Krause, I think, kind of hit home what was going on. And then again, um, the the crazy stuff with the Pippen contract and I, the fact that, I mean, it, it seems odd now, right, that Pippen even signed the contract. But Pippen kind of said it, gave a good explanation, which is that, you know, I didn't know how good I was going to be, first of all, but also, you know, I could got, could have gotten hurt and if I don't get, and if I'd gotten hurt, then I can't provide for my family. So some guys are not willing to take the risk, and I don't, I don't, I don't begrudge Scotty for making that decision. And just in hindsight, it's easy, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's easy to look back and say, "Wow, that was a bad decision." But, um, and that's why the Bulls can claim, you know, hey, he made the decision, so we don't have to pay him. Um, but then Pippin can retaliate and do what he does. So the, the other little storyline that I wanted to touch on in the first two episodes of the documentary, um, first of all, then the, I took a shot at the last dance name last episode, hoping that we'd find out how they actually got to that name. And thank God, uh, we found out because, you know, some were saying well they you know some were jokingly saying well you know they ripped you know Dwayne, did, did Dwayne Wade rip them off or did they rip off Dwayne you know, it was funny but uh with Dwayne Wade's last go-around as a player in the NBA did the documentary rip off Dwayne Wade um it was never a real discussion it was just funny that it was circulating my hope was that honestly my hope is what it ended up being which is that maybe this was something that they you know was a rallying cry for them and that's what it was Phil Jackson basically you know, they had a theme every year and the theme for 97, 98 was the last dance. And they had even pamphlets that said that. So I, I was, that made me like, okay, this makes sense. You know, this is a documentary that's too good to not to have a title that doesn't make any sense or it's too cheesy. That's why they called it the last dance. So, you know, Phil Jackson comes through again when he's not a Nick and they're not a Nick's front office guy. So I, I thought that was, you know, at least that made sense. That, that gave me a little bit of like, all right, You know, now I can fully buy into that being the name of this documentary. Um, The other little storyline that was really interesting was Michael Jordan's injury early in his career as well. And basically the conversation that had to be had between Jordan, Jerry Reinsdorf and the doctors about basically Jordan's long term health really early on in his career and you know the bulls are making an early playoff push this is before the whole team is really together jordan's been on a minutes restriction after this by the way so that was you know very uh and by the way this is before the 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 crazy games against the celtics where jordan kept putting up 50 and 60 points a game they have this discussion after he gets hurt and jordan's thinking 90 percent it was basically the terms were that you know it's 90 percent uh jordan will be fine and 10 percent he gets hurt again his career's over so like that was what he was going up against and jordan's like well you know everyone's looking at this half empty i'm looking at this half full and jerry ryan's like well what if you know i gave you 10 pills for a headache eight cure the headache and two or you know nine cure the headache and one kills you what are you going to take? And Jordan <laughs> depends on how and bad the headache is. So that just hit that little insight up front in your face about Michael Jordan's determination is I think a nice little cue for what we're going to see later on in the documentary. It gives you a nice base for those that, are, for those really for those that are not only watching it for the first time, but also those who are familiar with Michael Jordan and are beginning a refresher course here like me, you remember how tough, how mentally strong and how determined he was. And that's a great early indicator. I'm playing no matter what. And they had the minutes restriction on him for a lot of the end of that season. Paxton makes the shot, uh, to beat the Pacers. I think it was to basically get the bulls into the playoffs as the eight seed. They played the Celtics and then they had, they had those Jordan was then off the minutes restriction in the playoffs. And it was just a crazy, uh, couple of games despite the Celtics winning that series um, you get an early dose of, you know, how good Michael Jordan was even, uh, you know, we're talking, you know, mid eighties before they really got good towards the late eighties. And then of course the, the early to mid nineties going in towards, uh, the season that the documentary will end up really diving into, uh, at the end and really throughout the documentary, but mostly at the end when we see the end of the 97, 98 season. So I'll tell you what, it's off to a great start. You know, I, when I think of thirty for thirties, and I mentioned this earlier. Buddy, of mine were talking about this. You know, I think of the U. I think of catching hell. I think of the Gretzky documentary. I think of the 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 Mister Big Shot. Uh, the the Islanders documentary. You know, Pony Express. You know, I I, I think of all of these, um, and and plenty more. That I can't uh, that I that I can't think of. Uh, that I can't think of off the top of my head. Just a ton of phenomenal espn 30 for 30s that they've done and this is probably going to be the best one to date that they've done it's off to a great start and i'm excited to see what they're going to do next three and four are sunday and i guess we're kind of looking towards scotty pippen's contract situation some of the other role players being brought in uh grant kerr uh weddington you know, those kind of guys being brought, uh, I think Luke Longley was probably already with the team. I have to check on that one. Tony Kukoc, the Tony Kukoc, uh, relationship with the team is going to be interesting to revisit as well. I'm sure they'll dive into his time with the team, not only, uh, during 97, 98, but before that, when it was a little rocky, at times as well, they've gotta to touch on Jordan's retirement, I'm sure at some point also I mean they're gonna ju- I can't imagine they're gonna dive in everything so I'm excited to see what's next this is a it was a nice appetizer delicious appetizer of what we're gonna get not only in three and four, but again there's we've got eight more of these to go, so there's gonna be a nice solid six after Sunday that are really going to meet very interesting going forward. As we continue to take in this documentary, let me take a break here. When I come back, Kevin Knox and the NBA coaching search teams that are already looking for coaches and other teams that probably should be during the COVID 19 pandemic and sports quarantine throughout the world. Quick break, back in a second. Shock, Shock Knicks podcast, posting and toasting podcast network. I'm going to dive into Kevin Knox first. Uh, Mike Vakornov from the uh, from the Athletic. I think we talked about his article on RJ Barrett. Man, maybe three or four episodes ago. Gee, I can't believe I've done that many uh, since we've been in the quarantine, you know, self isolation uh, in the United States. It's been a really interesting couple of weeks. Uh, but basically. It's been a series where they've gone through the development of the young players with the Knicks. There's a lot of interesting stuff here. I mean, this has been a tough year for Kevin Knox. I mean, I I think that he's been, I mean, obviously he's been used very little compared to his previous two seasons. I believe the article mentioned he's played 10.9 fewer minutes per game this season. I mean, that's a big dip obviously a lot fewer shots a lot fewer touches he mentions fewer reps stepping fewer reps running the pick and roll keep that in mind he's not even you know these are all opportunities missed for kevin knox and they run through all the stats uh they get them from synergy sports transition spot ups handoffs isos post up off screen All the numbers are basically cut in half, if not worse, from last year, the 18-19 season, which is where Kevin Knox had his best year out of the three in the NBA. So, or or I'm sorry, I'm I'm thinking they're comparing the last three seasons. His first season in the NBA, they're comparing it to, and then they're comparing it to his time at Kentucky, where he played 38 games. Obviously... When you look at the numbers from last season he had a lot more opportunities but then you even look at his numbers from Kentucky and they're cut in half from there. So it just shows you what happens when you dip 11 minutes per game and you look at his I think it I think the reason the stats are brought up this way and again I didn't mean to confuse you there but when you look at his time at Kentucky and I think this is why it's included in the article. You just see how confident of a player Kevin Knox was and kind of what he's become in his season and three-fourths with the Knicks. And it's just, I, I mean, it's going in the wrong direction. It, it really is at the moment. And, you know, David Fisdale, and this is, what, this is one of the big the big positives, I thought, David Fizdale when he was there. He really was trying to get young guys like Kevin Knox opportunities and then as soon as David Fisdale went you know well to be and to be fair Kevin Knox was you know up and down under Fisdale I, I thought that he had but at least he had the opportunities I guess is what I'm trying to say and when he had those chances there were times he made the most of it and there were other times ta- you know there were times he makes the most of it in the, the next game or the next couple of games he goes silent he goes quiet so it was difficult to kind of see um the growth at times with Kevin Knox, although I, you know, there were times where, you know, he would really be strong in the pick and roll. He'd be strong in isolation. He'd be knocking down shots. He'd be a great option out on the floor, and that was what the Knicks wanted when they got him. But then there's other times where, he, he he's he's tough to watch. Um, the interesting part of the article is really what I wanted to touch on and share with you guys. If you haven't read it, was the scouts' takes. Different NBA scouts and other personnel um, basically dove in on where Knox is at the moment. One scout said, quote, a lot of unknown, he hasn't played a lot, but could really thrive in a situation that values development. That hit home for me. I mean, that really hit home for me, and it just kind of brings you back to where the Knicks are at the moment, both positively and extremely negatively. So, I mean, that was... That was really difficult to read because it's just like you know are the knicks really committed to the young guys you know is rj barrett really the only one they're going to bring along are they going to forget about you know some of these other young guys and they're just going to get lost in the shuffle yet again and this potential knicks core i mean again kevin knox is 20 years old you know again and this is only his second year in the nba you know kevin knox could get forgotten about very very quickly um they mentioned a couple uh, of games where, you know, Knox played well. They mentioned some of the games where Knox didn't play so well. I think, you know, it's pretty easy to kind of look that up. Th- th- as far as numbers, the biggest one that jumped out at me was the was the 2018 drafts rookie to sophomore change. Uh, basically, the minutes per game the touches per game, and the usage per game. You look at almost every other top prospect from that from that draft, Kevin Knox's draft a couple of seasons ago. And, you know, listen, it's up and down as far as the minutes per game, right? Some guys are playing more, some guys are playing less. Mitchell Robinson's playing more from his rookie to sophomore year, right? His touches per game are up. His usage is up. But, you know, Mikhail Bridges, kid out of Villanova. Minutes are slightly down, touches are down, usage is slightly up. You know, Mobamba, it's all down. Slightly down in minutes, slightly down in touches, down in usage. Kevin Knox, by far, out of the top prospects from that draft. I mean, again, with Mikhail Bridges and with Mobamba, those are the guys that went down significantly, or, or not significantly, but. Those are the only other two guys that went down in minutes per game besides Kevin Knox on the list. Kevin Knox went down significantly more than everybody else, 10.9 minutes per game. His touches, again, for Mo Bamba, minutes per game down 1.8. Mikhail Bridges down 2.2. Touches down 6.1 for Mo Bamba, down 0.5 for Bridges. For Knox, it's down 19. Point two touches per game from you know 22 and a half in 2020 huge difference and the usage rate is down five points you know this is the kind of stuff we're talking about whereas you know listen some of the other guys the, the changes are minimal but i mean significantly different in the in the wrong direction for kevin knox which is just extremely concerning again we're talking about you know jaron jackson and wendell carter and colin sexton shea Gilders alexander miles bridges uh troy brown you know kevin herter some of the other top prospects uh, from the track even mitchell robinson his own teammate so those are that's those are the numbers for me that really were just like oh boy i mean this is not going the way knicks fans thought it would go the front office thought it would go and kevin knox thought it would go at this point, in his sophomore season, in the NBA, the, you know, sophomore slump, but not because he's bad, it's just, he's not playing enough, he's not getting the opportunities, and that's why he's a big unknown, and we'll get to some more of the scouts' thoughts on that in a second, because they're pretty interesting, I must say, um, the stuff that went well that's listed, I I encourage you to read a little bit more, the shot blocking is slightly up from Knox, this season, and, and and this is and the rest is you know slight improvements in in certain other areas cleaning the glass rebounding um you're trying to take advantage of his opportunities a little bit more being a little bit more efficient um things that need work according to Mike Bacornov you know um more things as far as the three point shooting free throw shooting has been a problem for him as well catch and shoot threes are down As well, and really the big one. This was this was really where I think the Knicks have to take a have to really put their hands up and take the blame here. Knox's intensity is way and it's really inconsistent. It really is. You don't know what you're getting from this kid, and that was not the case coming out of Kentucky. I mean, he was he was not a high intensity guy early on in his freshman year, but when his when the year was done. Kevin Knox was a beast at the end of that freshman year at Kentucky and we saw that in his rookie year as well. It carried over into his rookie season, but in his sophomore year, I mean, you can tell his confidence is, it leaves him and then comes back and then leaves him again. You just don't know what you're going to get. So, very difficult to get a good read on Kevin Knox right now with the way the Knicks are handling his situation. That's kind of where I've been on him for most of the season, you know, we've been kind of going week by week with Knox and one week it's great. It's, it's, it's the same with Nillikina and it's the same with uh, Bobby Portis. And it's the same with, uh, geez, almost everybody uh, on the team. Um, But specifically those guys, it's one week, they're great. And the next week they're just not there. They're not where they should be and the Knicks—that's got to be the Knicks have got to take some blame for that. There's no question about that. Couple of scouts have their take on Knox. One NBA scout said he's still talented, thinks he has a chance, making the progress, and he's still young. But he's got to get more minutes. He's got to get the confidence back up, and he needs more time on the floor. One even suggested he should be playing in the G League a little bit, uh, which was really like, whoa. Like that just, again, that's on the Knicks. Like not properly developing him when that's being floated around by a scout. Uh, Again, we don't know who the scout is, but it's still like, whoa, uh, that's not good. Defensively, he's been solid. He's more confident putting the ball on the floor. So there's some positives there, but it's like, G League, holy smokes, if that's the talk. Um, And by the way, another Western Conference scout said something very similar as well. Um he said, quote, got all the tools, he's got a nice stroke, good body. You wonder if looking at him, how much of a competitor he is, It's all about his toughness. You don't see it outwardly, but does he have it internally? That was like oh, reading that you know, as a fan, you're just thinking, oh my God, that guy plays for my team. you know that's what the people think about Nick's players. not just Kevin Knox probably. Yeah, he's a four-moving forward, which is more to his advantage than disadvantage because he can stretch it, and he's not a bad athlete. Decent skill, still very young. He's got a chance to get better. He just needs the opportunity. And he says, "I'm not giving up on him." You want to say his age is on his side because he still, you can still mold him. He's not elite at anything yet. That's that's obvious. But if New York were looking to move him, this is according to Western Conference Scout. I think there'll be teams out there interested because of his tools and his base he needs to find that one thing that makes him stand out could have used some games in the g league again that's brought up you need to see Knox play to see if he can play or not i i, I that was honestly for me you know that was like a truth the truth hurts kind of a thing and I don't know if the Knicks, you know, will will have an epiphany over that, or what they'll take, or what they rather really what they think of Knox. They don't they won't care what Mike Vikornov writes. Hopefully not, because they should be they should have guys there that that are staying on the right path of what they think they should be doing. And if if they're not, there's a there's another problem there. But the big takeaway I have from this is simply, this is the Knicks. I mean, this is the Knicks in a nutshell. Is what Kevin Knox is right now. Yeah, sometimes they can be good, they show promise, and then a ton of other times they're just not good enough. You question their heart, you question their toughness, you question their intensity. Maybe they could go somebody somewhere else and get better. It's Kevin Knox, it's the Knicks. It's just what the Knicks are. It's tough to read as a Knicks fan. It's a tough read, but Mike Vakornov, in a great way, is is highlighting the internal problem with the Knicks' development Which is that they get players to a certain point, and then once they need to make that next step, they don't make it with the Knicks, they make it with somebody else. And that is a massive problem that's not going to go away overnight. Quick thoughts on the coaching rumors going around in the NBA before I get out of here. Um, This is from a couple of, this is from about a week ago. Uh, Knicks' latest, there's not a whole lot new on this. Uh, Mike Miller, obviously 44 games uh as the Knicks interim head coach some believe that he he might still be in the mix um for the full-time coaching job the real head coaching job or the you know the long-term coaching job Ian Begley you know of SNY has been talking about this for the last couple of weeks you know this is a big decision for Leon Rose as new Knicks president um he's about a month in charge now as the Knicks, um, actually he's a little over a month now, a little over a month in charge uh, now as the Knicks president. This is a big decision for him to have to make. Um, Tom Thibodeau has been thrown around and he's on a list for the Knicks. Um, according to Ian Begley, quote, for what it's worth, several coaches and people with vetted interest in Leon Rose's first coaching hire believe it will ultimately, ultimately be Thibodeau If he doesn't retain Mike Miller, so he's thinking about Mike Miller. You know, I think if the season were to continue, the regular season were to continue, and then and the NBA would finish the regular season and then go to the playoffs. I think Mike Miller probably finishes the season. Although, you know, if we're if we're if we're in June or July, and the NBA says, right, we're going to finish the regular season, I don't know if Mike Miller's the coach. So that's the other thing. Leon Rose is going to have time to make this decision and if he feels that and if tom thibodeau is ready to go right away they might just bring in tom thibodeau i mean that's that's the other thing to consider with the, the more the nba is off the more likely mike miller's not the coach moving forward because i i, I really think that he want mike miller is probably going to want those last whatever it is 16 15 16 games to finish out the season and and basically just tell leon give it to leon rose and say hey I can do this, but we'll see Courtney and Begley. It's probably between Miller and Thibodeau. I don't know. I would take Tom Thibodeau just because our coach is Mike Miller. So, uh, it's, it's interesting to see what'll happen, uh, with that. Um, and you know, again, the daily news backs up the report that Tom Thibodeau is interested in coming back. Um, apparently not only the Knicks but the Nets and the Rockets uh, are expected to have the three highest profile coaching gigs available. Um, and the Daily News also reports that the Pelicans, the Bulls, and the Hawks are thinking about new coaches as well. That kind of brought me into the wider scope of what's going on right now. Obviously, you know Jim Boylan, uh, probably not going to be around too long in Chicago. I-, I was thinking about this the other night. Alvin Gentry you know 28 and 36 with the Pelicans not really out of the out of the realm of possibilities there you know that's not exactly off the table the the Mike D'Antoni one is is for obvious reasons if this experiment doesn't work with Houston they're 40 and 24 right now but if they're not anywhere near a western conference finals and they traded all the way all their big men I mean they're going to get rid of Mike D'Antoni I can't imagine he sticks around and then When you look at the Atlanta Hawks situation, Lloyd Pierce, I mean, I feel like that's going to happen. I mean, only one year, but 20 and 47, you got Trey Young, got to get a good coach in there to help him develop. Most importantly, then you try to build around him from there. So uh, according to Bagley as well, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, um, and believe it or not, Mike Woodson, which would just be a weird one for me. Uh, also options who could be quote unquote good fits and Kenny Atkinson the former Nets head coach is being considered a poor, apparently as an option as well the long shot option uh cuz there's always one of those in one of these is John Calipari um and I mean this has been talked about for years now John Calipari has said time and time again he's not interested um uh, but he has a relationship with Rose and on t- not Derek Rose, uh, though he does with him as well. but Leon Rose specifically. um the only thing that that would make me somewhat not hesitant but the the only credence to this rumor is that is the is the job at Kentucky gonna get a little old for John Calipari? You know, John Calipari has been doing the one-and-done thing for a while. He's not kind of gotten one-upped in the one-and-done deal. Like, Mike Shashevsky at Duke has kind of taken over in the one-and-done realm. And now more, you know, coaches are doing it. It's not really cool anymore to be one-and-done. So, I don't know if Calipari will think, well, you, know, you know what would be cool? Going to the Knicks and doing something with Leon Rose. I don't know. I don't think I'd want that to happen. I'm not a big Calipari fan myself. Uh, but, uh it's apparently in the, in, out there in, in the land of possibilities here for the Knicks. I think it'd be a train wreck to get John Calipari in my opinion, but crazier things have happened. Um, the Nets situation is interesting. Now that Kenny Atkinson has gone, Tyron Liu and Jason Kidd are among the Nets candidates moving forward as well. Um, and again, you know, with what's going on, With the Knicks and the Nets, I mean, a lot of options are up in the air. Kenny Atkinson's an interesting one for the Knicks. If you want player development, he's a guy that's done that job. But again, long-term, maybe Tom Thibodeau, they think, is a better option there as well. Um, You know, there's a couple of other guys, a couple other jobs out there. The Grizzlies job with Taylor Jenkins, they're right around 500. Right now, Ryan Saunders having a terrible year with the Timberwolves as well. Um, and, and maybe, I mean, Steve Clifford, I mean, Brett Brown with the Sixers, another job that could easily come available. Monty Williams with the Suns could be another one that comes available. Uh, so there's a lot out there. I mean, Scott Brooks with the Wizards, <laughs> I mean, Terry Stotts with the Trailblazers. You never know. I mean, is the, is it getting old? And they're 29 and 37 right now, Portland you know, Terry Stotts has been there for a little while now, you know, at some point with that group that they've got there, do they think about making a change? I I don't know. It's a difficult decision at the minute, you know, it really is. So for the time being, those are kind of the ones I've been looking out for over the last couple of weeks. Um, I can't imagine many other huge ones after that. I mean, maybe Dwayne Casey, with the Pistons, although they gave him a pretty nice contract at the beginning of that one. I mean, J.B. Bickerstaff with Cleveland, you know, is he the long-term option there? Probably not. So, you know, Jacques Vaughn, obviously, with the Nets, he's not going to be sticking around. They're going to look somewhere else. Same with Jim Boylan with the Bulls, like I mentioned earlier. And, And other than that, I mean, we're talking about Brad Stevens. We're talking about you know Michael Malone we're talking about Rick Carlisle we're talking about Doc Rivers Frank Vogel Mike Budenholzer so hey, other than that you know these guys are sticking around so but like it is in the NBA every year uh there's going to be some guys out there so it'll be interesting to see what happens with those but you know you look at Greg Popovich Nick Nurse Quinn Snyder you know those guys will be fine you know Luke Walton by the way another one with the with the with the Sacramento Kings they're 20 and 36, maybe give him another year or two, but at some point, you know, that might be another one that's a little up in the air as well. Eric Spolstra is definitely, I mean, he's a, I, I can't imagine. Eric Spolstra is probably going to become Greg Popovich in Miami. I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, what, you know, they're 41 and 24. They keep figuring it out with Pat Riley. I think as long as Pat Riley is there, they're going to keep Eric Spolstra. I can't imagine they were to put, they were to part ways with him and Steve Kerr, Uh, with the warriors is going to get another year or two because of the way that this year turned out everyone's been hurt and or traded so they're gonna you know or or sign with the nets so they're gonna give him more time in golden state as well oh speaking of time i'm out of it terrible way to end their terrible pun but uh (laughs) i'm out of time for this week that's the end of the podcast you know what, uh, you know, as, as bad as that was, you know what's great, you guys? You guys that keep listening week in and week out. You guys have been phenomenal listening to not only my podcast, but the entire podcast network. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Hope you are safe. Hope you are healthy and as happy as you can be during this difficult time. We'll see you next week. We'll talk more last dance and more top news around the Knicks and the NBA. Until then... Enjoy the week. See you next week on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. This is the Shock Shock next Podcast.